see friends we never get to see. It's so good. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. My name is Paula, and I'm on staff here at Grace. And my, I don't know what you call it, my passion probably, is to make sure that you get connected. So the first thing I would say is read your bulletin front to back. Um, we also have a weekly email that we send out. Um, Lynn, make sure that that goes out. It's called, excuse me, the Grace Connection. So if you're not receiving that and you'd like to, just uh, see us at the information counter. We'll make sure that you get that. But a couple of things I want to point out to you. Um, a week from today, we are having what we call um, Pizza with the Pastor. And that is Doug and Norflat Calm, and my husband and I are there. And we just want you to come if you're newer to Grace and you're not connected. Come and hang out with us and hang out with people who are newer. And let's get to know each other and let's see how we can, um, well, get you connected. I'm going to be like Doug and use a word too many times. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, oh, I'm sorry, Doug. He's sitting right there. Um, vulnerability. What is that? No curtains? Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, a lot of people are asking today, is what is going on with weekday Bible study. So we are getting really excited. On Tuesday the 19th in the evening, we are bringing back um, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. So if you've been through that, you know it's awesome, but tell your friends. Um, it's just a great course. My husband and I went through it, and um, it just it really helped us to... Um, see money God's way, really, is what it's all about. Um, and we're, North Flat is going to teach on, um, I just hit a mind blank. North Flat is going to, spiritual disciplines. So he'll have a teaching every Tuesday on spiritual disciplines, so we'll learn to have a closer walk with Christ. And then there'll be a special study just for the women, and it's a study about joy. So watch for more information coming about the, uh, up about that. But the big one is the financial piece. And if you're interested, read your bulletin, because you need to go online uh, to Financial Peace University and order the kit so that you have that and that you're ready to go. Um, men, you have a little little card that you were probably given by someone from our men's team. We are really excited that um, two weeks from Saturday, I think it is. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. Is it the 9th? Tom, do you know the 9th? Yes, thank you. Um, Jason Hansen, who is a former kicker for the Detroit Lions, will be here at Grace speaking. So you want to be here for breakfast. It's a free breakfast. Bring your friends, but that'll be a really awesome opportunity for you as well. There's a lot going on. And then the last thing is, um, today we are going to be um, participating in communion. And when we participate in communion, one of the things that we do is we take a benevolent offering. And that benevolent offering goes to help those in our grace community who are experiencing hardships. And um, as you can well imagine, with a church as large as our Grace community, we have a lot of needs. So ushers will be at the doors if you'd like to uh, donate to that. Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand and say hi to your friends who you haven't seen in a while. But I have a favor. I have a favor. After you've stood, will you do me a favor? We believe that we're going to have a few people who didn't get the memo about 1030 that are going to be coming in now. So if you could scoot in a little bit and we'll make it easy so they won't have to climb over while Doug's teaching. It'd be awesome. Thanks.
Good one. She's happy. Hey, if you haven't figured out, we're having a series. It's going to start January 3rd. We're going to walk through the book of Jonah, teach through the book of Jonah. Um, If I were to ask you, uh, what's the book of Jonah about? Most of you would tell me about a fish, about a guy, about being in the belly of the whale for three days. And while all that's true, uh, Jonah is about so much more than that. Uh, We've named the series Overboard because in reality, if you read the book, it seems like everything that happens in this story goes overboard. God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, the missional element to what God is doing, even Jonah's response. It's, it is a wild story, and it seems like in, in every angle, things are overboard. So we're going to have this series, and I'm asking you to invite some friends to be a part of the series. And, it, you know, the statistics say eight out of ten people will come if you invite them to church, but how you invite them Matter. So I'm going to do a little bit of a role play here for you and, and help you to understand. So, uh, so Jay, uh, my church is like doing this thing. It's on Jonah. It'd be great if you could come. Cool. So he may or may not come, right? It's probably not going to get us over the hump. What I'd really like to see you do. Sorry, Jay, you're not invited anymore. <laughs> not a team player. So uh, holders. We're doing this really cool series on Jonah, and I would love it if you guys would come, but what I'd really like is if you would come maybe with us to church, and afterwards, we're going to go to the Pancake House and have a big apple. Now, who's coming? We know pancakes, yes. I didn't get any pancakes. My whole point is make it relational. If you invite somebody to come to church, you're going to do a whole lot better if you ask them to come with you. You don't have to bribe them with pancakes, but if that's what it takes to get them to Jesus, do whatever it takes. We're supposed to be wise and clever, okay? So it makes sense. So you have a little card in your bulletin. Actually, I think there's a couple in there. If you want more, stop at the counter. They'll give you more, but use those cards. Let's invite people, and let's just bring them into the good stuff that God's doing here at Grace. Hey, coming off of this Christmas season, um, I have just been sort of challenged even personally just by the profound implications of the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of, of Christ. And it's like God is sort of reminding me of how profound the story is. And I say this all the time, but it's so important for us. If you've been doing church for a while, when the story becomes familiar, it loses its wonder. And that, so the, the phrase I use a lot is that familiarity breeds complacency. And sometimes... I or sometimes we need to stop and we need to remember how profound God's story really is. We have to almost hear it as if we're hearing it for the first time and allow the wonder of that to kind of sink in. The gospel, the biblical narrative, it's, it's not an ordinary story. It, it truly is awesome and amazing. But sometimes we have to stop and and hear it again and remind ourselves. So that's kind of been where I've been this holiday season. Um, And I just want to encourage you to do the same thing. So grab your Bibles, grab your readers. We're going to teach from the Gospel of John today, chapter 20. John chapter 20, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So the fourth letter letter of the the Gospels, or fourth book of the Bible in in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 20. And we're actually going to read verses 19 through 23. I want to remind you to bring your Bibles, bring your readers. If you use something electronic at home, it's fine to use something electronic here. If you are a Facebook user, uh, we just encourage you to check in, let people know that you're at Grace and you're learning about Jesus. Uh, if you hear something and you want to put it out there on social media, we also want to encourage you to do that because we're going to 
use this thing called social media to advance the kingdom. So tweet away if you want to. All right. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. This is taking place after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and before he ascends. So it's that time period between death, resurrection, and ascension. John 20, 19 through 23 says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes uh, that you would just guide my words, that you would just guide the sermon, that you would allow me to say the very things that you want me to say. Thank you for the power of the word of God to do the good work in our soul, to do the surgery that's needed to be done. Lord, I pray as we pray every Sunday, that we would leave different than we came because we interacted with the living God through song, through his word, through the teaching. In Jesus' name. So the passage starts, verse 19, says, on the evening of the first day of the week. So it's Sunday night. For us, we would probably think, oh, that's Monday. But remember the, the Jewish calendar, Saturday is the Sabbath. So now it's Sunday evening. It says the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leader. And that's a, a kind of a phrase I want you to kind of lean into or think about, for fear of the Jewish leaders. See, the, the disciples, they've just witnessed the brutality of the Roman government. They've just witnessed the corruption of the Jewish religious leaders, the most brutal execution in the history of mankind. You know, in their minds, everything they wanted, everything they believed, everything they were hoping for, all of their hopes, all of their dreams had, had come crashing down and nothing made sense. One thing we know for sure, in that room, they were confused and they were overwhelmed. There's fear, there's grief, there's confusion, disappointment. The disciples are cowering in fear for their lives. Now, keep in mind, Jesus had told them, hey, all of this is going to happen. But in their human reasoning, they couldn't put all that together. All they knew is that, that things didn't go the way they thought they were going to go. And they were afraid and they were hiding out. The disciples, they lacked hope. They were paralyzed with fear. And if you think about it, in that moment, they've kind of taken themselves out of ministry. They've taken themselves out of the game. They're not out telling anybody about anything. They're just hiding in a little room. They're not, they're not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God. And one thing we need to know is that hopelessness and fear is always the death of ministry. When we let hopelessness and fear take hold, we're no longer effective in taking the message of God forward. Hopelessness leads to a lack of action, and fear is absolutely paralyzing. Look, we don't share our faith with our friends. We don't invite them to Jonah because we're afraid of how they're going to respond. 
right? We don't stand up for what's right sometimes because we're afraid of how people will respond. We don't move out of our safe comfort zone, even when God is nudging us to do something out of fear that it's not gonna go well. So fear has a way of, of paralyzing us. And one of the other things I just want you to catch here is that fear is the number one commodity of evil. Fear is the currency of the marketing media that we are subject to. It's the currency of the news media. It is the currency of the current political system. Fear is, is, is the motivator. This is so important that we get this. People, it is so critical that you understand this because if you don't understand how fear can motivate you, then you will fall subject to, you will be influenced in a way that you're not even aware that you're being influenced. The news media, they're playing off of your fears. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous. When you lack hope, when you are afraid, you cling to the wrong things to bring you a sense of comfort or a sense of, of, of knowing security. We literally, when we're afraid or metaphorically, hide out in a room and, and remove ourselves from advancing the kingdom. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous. The question is, what are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid of death. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of Islam. We're afraid of po the political climate. We're afraid of the moral climate. We're actually afraid of the climate. So if you've, right, the global warming thing or whatever you've, you've heard, right? So we were actually afraid of the climate. It's funny, I got up this morning and I read the news. And if you just read the headlines, there is headline after headline after, with the intention of scaring you. You don't even have to read the article. The headline alone is put out there to scare you, to create fear in you because fear is gonna become the motivator. When fear wells up inside of us, we become ineffective in our decision-making. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says what? It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And when you, you can clap for that, that's a good thing, especially in today's climate. So, so what he's saying, if you just look at that verse, you can make this observation that, that there's a connection between having a sound mind and having a lack of fear. God takes our fear, removes it, and gives us the power of love. It gives us power, gives us love, and gives us a sound mind. It's a, it's a picture of the antithesis, if you will, of fear. So we have fear of not being accepted, right? So we stay at home and we don't risk ourselves in relationship. We have fear of not having enough money. So we hold back the, the very thing God says, no, no, tithe, give that back to me. Like, like, like there's a way for you to, to see your money, but, but if we're afraid, you're just gonna, you're gonna hoard, you're gonna hold on to it because out of fear, fear affects how we deal with homosexuality. Look, we don't deal with it the way Christ would do it. We deal with it out of fear. And then we get it all wrong and, and it comes across in, in such brutal ways. Fear is such a, a poor motivator. So the bottom line is this, and I want to put it on the screen. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous and is destructive. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous and it's destructive. And it's not that we're not supposed to think about all these things I've been talking about. We have to think about them. 
The question is, are we thinking about him from a place of fear or do we have a right understanding of who God is and God's sovereignty and the power of God and, and what God is up to? And do we know that God is actually in control when we think about these things? Because it'll change the way you think about it. It'll change the types of decision you make. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous and destructive. And here's the deal. We all, every one of us, fall prey to this poor decision-making at one time or another. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you read the scriptures, if you read the narrative of the Bible, you'll see that the biblical heroes over and over and over made destructive and bad decisions in the wake of fear. So you remember Abraham? You know who Abraham is, right? He's a pretty important character in the Bible. He goes and he's in the area where Pharaoh's in charge, and so he's afraid. So he tells Pharaoh, no, this Sarah, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Hey, lie to Pharaoh for me and say you're my sister because he might kill me because you're so beautiful. He was afraid, and he made a stupid decision because of his fear. He forgot that God had already promised to bless him and prosper him. All the promises of God were were brushed aside and he lied to Pharaoh. Fear-based decision-making is dangerous and destructive. Remember the the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? So he he says um, to the king, he says to Ahab, he says, hey, why don't you get 450 of the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, and bring them and we're gonna have a little duel my God against your God. 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah and Yahweh. Remember the 450, they, they dance around, they cut themselves, they make fools of themselves, they beg for God to come down and consume the sacrifice. Nothing happens. Elijah, if you want to read a fun story, read it. Elijah just pokes fun at him. He, 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 makes, he ridicules him. He has so much fun with him, right? And in the end, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pour water on our sacrifice. I want you to pour more water on our sacrifice. Wait, I want you to pour more water on our sacrifice. He calls on God. God comes down in a fire, consumes the sacrifice. And in that moment, Elijah is fired up and he says, kill all those prophets. 450 prophets are killed in the moment. Amazing story, right? Well, if you keep reading, Jezebel says, you killed my prophets, now I'm going to kill you, right? And so the scripture actually says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He just killed 450 prophets. He just called fire down from sky, and he somehow gives way to fear. He forgets that God is in charge. Jezebel's not in charge, and he makes a silly decision. He runs and he hides. He pulls himself out of ministry because of fear. Another Old Testament story, because I just want you to see that this is our human nature. It's, it's what Satan uses to, to get us in the wrong direction. One more Old Testament story. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. So Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 13. The passage we're going to read is right after Moses had sent the 12 spies into uh, check out the promised land, right? So if you got to remember the story, like the they'd just been released from Egypt, right? So they were slaves and God had brings the, the, the 10 plagues and he does these amazing miracles and they go through the Passover moment that we'll talk about in just a little bit. And then and God releases them and they, they, he divides the Red Sea. You remember the story, right? So he splits the Red Sea and then the Red Sea comes in and destroys Pharaoh's army. And then he gives them water out of a rock and then bread falls out of the sky. I mean, there's some pretty big stuff going on. All of this to show them that, no, you're God's people. God loves you. God's in control. God's going to take care of you. And God has promised you this land called the promised land. So they send the 12 spies in. 
Look at verse uh, 31 through 33. And it says, but the men who had gone with him said, oh, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who live in it. All of the people we saw were like great size. We saw the Nephilim. Those are giants. We seemed like grasshoppers in in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Caleb was one of the spies, but Caleb wasn't afraid because he believed in the promises of God. But later in the scriptures, Caleb actually says of the spies, he says their, their hearts melted with fear. The spies' hearts melted with fear. And so what did they do? They started spreading propaganda. They actually started to lie to the people and tell stories that weren't even necessarily true, but they wanted to stir up. What did they want to stir up in the people? Fear, because they knew if they could make them afraid, then they weren't going to take the promised land because the fear was going to pull them out of doing the very thing that God wanted them to do. And so what happened? You know the story? So God said, okay. 40 years, you're going to wander in the desert. And this generation is going to die. And the next generation is going to get the promises of God. All of that came out of a fear-based decision-making because fear-based decision-making is dangerous and it's destructive. And we all fall prey to it if we are not careful and paying attention to it. Back to our passage, John chapter 20. The disciples are paralyzed with fear. Jesus shows up and gives them this power and love and and a sound mind, the antithesis of fear. Look at verse 19. He says, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leader, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, peace be with you. I love this because the doors are locked. And what we don't see is we don't see the disciples even inviting Jesus into the room. They don't know what's going to happen. They're not saying, Jesus, we need you. Come quickly. Come quickly. They are just there, and they are just afraid, and they are living in their chaos and in their fear. And Jesus just shows up on the scene. He's just in the room uninvited, and he says, peace be with you. Common Jewish greeting, but he means so much more. The peace, the shalom peace is, is peace of mind. He's saying, look, let me just settle your mind. Look, you don't need to be afraid. Let me, let me settle. Uninvited, Jesus steps into the chaos and brings peace. How many of you need Jesus to step into the chaos of your life and bring a peace of mind? So he, he says, you know, here's my wounds. Look at my wounds in my hand. Look at the wounds in my side. They, they look at him and he does all that just to help them to realize, no, it's, it's really me. I'm really standing here before, before you. And I love this. Look at verse 20. It says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were filled to overflowing with joy. They experienced God's favor. Talk about a radical shift in the emotional environment of the room. They go from being afraid to being peaceful. They go from from being fearful to being joyful, from fear to God's favor. Now, here's what you need to realize. Nothing changed. Nothing's different outside the room. The the Roman government is still the Roman government. The religious leaders are still the religious. Nothing changed except for the way they felt and the way they were going to be able to navigate into those circumstances. The promises of God, get this, people, the promise of God is not that he's going to remove all of the difficulties. 
the promise of God is that he will go through them with you and give you a peace of mind that allows you to navigate through them and grow you through them. Look at verse 21. Jesus speaks again and he says, peace be with you as the father has sent me, I am sending you. This peace thing must be pretty important because he says it twice, right? He says, peace be with you again. And then he says these words that have captured my imagination for the last few days. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. There is so much power in this one phrase. This phrase ought to instill a great sense of confidence in us as followers of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And the first thing we have to realize is that we are sent. God is a missional God. God sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit indwells us and sends us. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you because it's the very nature of God. We are sent. And if God is sending us, then God is going to equip us for whatever he's sending us to do. You know that you are just as sent as I am. You are just as sent as the disciples were. Whoever your biblical or your your spiritual hero is, whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or Andy Stanley or Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, you are as sent as they are. Now, here's the profound thing about this. It says, you are sent as Jesus was sent. And we all have different ways of living into our calling and how we are sent, but you are just as sent as they are. So how, were, how, was, how was Jesus sent? As the Father sent me, I am sending you. First of all, they're sent. And the second thing, we are empowered. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was empowered in his ministry by the Holy Spirit. So Philippians says that, that Jesus, in being very nature, God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? He emptied himself and became a man totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry that he has. So we see in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest, that our high priest understands our weakness. The word weakness there is our humanness, our need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Jesus understood that. So we look at the baptism of Jesus, right, in in the Gospel of Luke. And it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that's Luke 3, and he went forth in power of the Spirit, Luke 4, to preach, teach, heal, drive out evil spirits. Jesus was empowered to do ministry through the Holy Spirit working in him. And the same is true for us. And Jesus knows this, so he comes into the room, and what does he say? He, it says in verse 22, look at it, it says, And so he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He said, Look, I, I know you're afraid. I've called you, and I'm sending you to do ministry. So receive the Holy Spirit so that you can do the very ministry that I'm calling and sending you to do. This is the same language of the creation story where Jesus breathed life into man. Or think about Ezekiel 37, where he breathed on the dry bones and they came to life. So Jesus is 
breathing life into us through the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective in ministry, so that we can be sent the way we're called to be sent. So we are sent, we are empowered, and we are absolutely dependent on God because as the Father is sending Jesus, Jesus is sending us, and Jesus was dependent on God. Jesus actually says the Son, talking about himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In John 12, he says, the Father who sent me commanded me to say all of the things I have spoken. I only say what the Father tells me to say. We are sent and we are dependent. Imagine how different ministry would be if we only did what the Father told us to do and we only said what the Father told us to say. It would be pretty powerful. So we're sent, we're empowered, we're dependent, and we are to serve Right? The scriptures say that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, look, the rulers of the day, they lord over you, but not so with you. You are called, like I am called, to serve others. So part of the way we're sent, as, as, God, has sent the, as God has sent Jesus, he is sending us to be servants. And if you look at that same passage in Matthew 20, it says to give your life as a ransom for many. We are also called to sacrifice to lay down our lives for one another, to not look to your own interests, but to look to the interests of others. This is how we are sent. We have to be willing to suffer for others so that they come to know Christ. We're sent, we're empowered, we're dependent, we're called to serve, we're called to sacrifice, and we are called to bring peace. Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. Just his very presence brings peace. Our presence in the room ought to bring peace to the room. Whether it's in your home or in your workplace, you are to be an ambassador of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. If that's who you are, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. So peace ought to be permeating out from you. You ought to be an ambassador of of peace, because as the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending you to proclaim peace on earth. Sent, empowered, dependent, to serve, to sacrifice, to bring peace, and to proclaim the gospel of freedom. Jesus came, it says, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to pro proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. What's captured my imagination for these last few days is as the Father sent Jesus, he's sending me. No, as the Father sent Jesus, he's sending you. As the Father sent Jesus, he's sending us as a church. And when we get this right, he is going to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine because he's empowering the work of ministry behind us. We are sent, we are empowered, we are dependent, we are to serve, we're to sacrifice, we're to bring peace, and we are to proclaim the gospel of freedom. Now, I would kind of like to just stop right here, but there's one more sentence in this passage that we read that is really confusing, and it would not be uh, nice of me to just leave it hanging. So Jesus says these words, if you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And the question I would ask is, what 
does this mean? As a matter of fact, that is the question I've been asking all week. What does this mean? This is a super hard verse for us to understand. And the honesty, this has created all kinds of tension within the church. So what does it mean? Does it mean that, that God has given me the power to actually absolve people? Sin? So I could go to the mall and I could just, with people walk by, say, forgiven. Sins are forgiven. I don't like your outfit. Sins are not forgiven. Right? I mean, we know, intuitively, we know that's not what this passage is saying. I am not given the power of forgiving sins. What we know from the weight of Scripture, from the all of Scripture, the best way to interpret Scripture is to let Scripture interpret itself is God alone has the power to forgive sins. So, so if Jesus isn't saying that, then he must be saying something else. And it's, this is a... As an old pastor, you say, this is kind of the cookies on the higher shelf. We're going to have to work for this one a little bit, but it's worth working for. Here's what Jesus is saying. You are sent, and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to be in ministry. You have the ministry of telling people about the grace of God. You have a ministry of sharing the, the forgiveness available to them through the gospel. You have this power. As a matter of fact, God is entrusting this message to you. And if you are willing to share that message with others and they receive it, they will receive forgiveness of sin. If you refuse to share it, they will not know the message and they will perish because they're left in their sin. This is a weighty statement that Jesus is making. He's saying, look, you're sent and you're empowered and I'm giving you everything you need. Now go and tell people because if you tell them, they can receive forgiveness of sins. But if you don't tell them, they can't. Or the other part of the passage is if you tell them and they reject it, then it's on them. This really is a heavy sentence. There's something very important that God has entrusted to us. The message of Christ is entrusted to us. And if we tell people, they have an opportunity to receive forgiveness of sins. We need to bear the weight of this. So inviting somebody to church, it's, it's not just because it's cute, it's because we really believe this person needs Jesus. People are perishing because of a lack of knowledge and, and Jesus is saying, no, you get a chance to go tell people about Jesus. The good news is what? God loved the world so much that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the message that's entrusted to you and I. And it's entrusted to us through the power of the Spirit to go out in power so that people hear what they need to hear. There are two groups of people in the room. There are people in the room right now that all you're thinking about is, I need peace in my life and I don't know Jesus. And you know what? Today's the day. Today's the day. Because really, all you need to do is say, God, I believe that, that the story of Jesus is true. I believe he really did die on that cross, was buried, and that he rose again. And, and I want to give my life to Jesus. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of saying, God, would you just become King of kings and Lord of lords? Would you stand in the midst of my chaos and bring peace to my life? If you pray that prayer, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to enter into your life. Amen. And there's a whole lot of people in the room that have made a decision a long time to follow Jesus, but you have not experienced the peace of God in a long time. And my encouragement to you is to surrender what's holding you back and just invite 
the Spirit of God to bring a peace that passes understanding. Hey, we're going to move into communion, and Ron's going to come up, and he's going to play for us. And um, I love, this. Is, you guys know, this is one of my favorite sacraments. I love what God is doing. If you have made a decision to follow Christ, even if that decision was two minutes ago, then this is for you. If you haven't, if you're still exploring, that's okay. Just let the elements pass you by. We're going to take the elements, uh, hold on to them. We'll take them together. But the scriptures tell us that whenever we do this, whenever we take communion together, that we are to examine ourselves. Where are you with God? How are you doing in your walk with God? Are you experiencing the peace that comes through the Spirit? And it's a good time just to give some things up, as our friend Martin Sanders would say. It's always a good time to, to leave a few things and to take a few things. So what does God want you to leave here, and what does God want you to take with him? So if the ushers want to come down, um, that would be great, or the servers. We're going to hand this out. Ron's going to play again. Hold the elements, and I'll come up in just a few minutes, and we will uh, partake together.